This is the Two Guys Talking Podcast. Back again with episode nine after a fun, packed weekend full of sports, full of so many things going on, so much to talk about, so much to catch up on. Once again, Brandon in the studio. I'm just going to say it, let it happen. Brandon, how's it going? Not too bad, man. Celebrating a natty, baby. Michigan, man. Michigan taking the victory. Pretty dominating victory, to say the least. Yeah, we we were watching it together, and it kind of felt like in that first half, it's like, oh, Michigan's kind of letting Washington hang around. Maybe the offense, you know, Pennix get clicking. And then going into that fourth quarter, fourth quarter, still one score game, like we really thought it was going to get good. And then, yeah, I think, I mean, if you look at kind of the, the stat sheet, yeah, it was definitely a, a game that was a lot closer in the scoreboard than it was on paper. But Michigan, yeah, I think just that – the the line of scrimmage, man, they just kept winning. I mean, they've done that all season. They went in the trenches, and you know that ultimately ended up being the difference. I think, and we'll get into it more, obviously. But yeah, great game, dude. Great weekend. Just exci- have some fun. Just exciting stuff, you know. Michigan with with the whole and and, and there's so much. We live in an information world, right? Full of uh, overload of information on a daily basis. Uh, you know, do people forget about the the entire scandal that was going on all season and the whole situation that Jim Harbaugh didn't coach for three games, suspended for three games, and this is an undefeated fifteen and zero team. Uh, and and it was a great game. had the, had the opportunity to be a all time game. It definitely had the chance there to be that. Washington did their best, couldn't hang on to what was uh, arguably one of the best college football defenses of all time. I mean, that front line, front seven is uh, pretty un- unbelievable. And those cornerbacks, man, they can tackle. And that's NFL stuff. If you're able to tackle as a cornerback, you can. that's a pretty good deal. But, yeah, like Brandon said, we'll get into it. We, have a, you know, we had a little wager going, so we will have a reveal there about that little wager that we had. And uh, we'll get we'll get more into the college football championship. But first, we'll want to start with the uh, you know the the uh, the professionals out on the on the gridiron. NFL Week 18, final week of the NFL season. You know, not as uh, you know Hollywood storybook action packed kind of uh, filled day as maybe we've had in previous years, but definitely important games. You know, the Buffalo thing didn't end up being that big of a deal because they would have made the playoffs regardless of winning and losing by the game, but by the time their game started against Miami. Nonetheless, a great comeback by the Bills to win their fourth division in a row. But <clears throat> I wanted to ask Brandon, you know, what, what, what were a couple games that stood out to you, a couple matchups that stood out to you, whether they were playoff implications or not, uh, from Week 18? Um, real quick, we don't have to make it a, a long discussion but um i mentioned it uh, a few episodes back just about how the raiders really seem to be you know motivating that locker rooms kind of come together around um antonio pierce and just like the broncos again they just look like the complete opposite so i hope that it's not one of those things where sean payton's already losing that locker room um obviously you know jared stidham no matter what Sean Payton says or what the Broncos say, like those two games that Rush was Russ was benched, that was not to see if Stidham could be, you know, something along the lines of can we count on him in the future or anything like that. It's like no, you you bench Russ for the financial implications, um, and more so just to probably you know kind of end that relationship with Russ. Um, but yeah, it just you know another disappointing 
performance from the Broncos. Never really showed any life. Um, but really, the Jaguars, man. Woo-hoo! Man, if you rewind a handful of weeks ago, leading the division looked like they were going to run away with it and just a complete collapse. And that's that's one of those ones where, you know, a collapse like that, that can kind of lead to, you know, maybe some overreactions type of things from the front office, whether it's coaching or personnel. So I'm kind of interested to see what their offseason's like because, yeah, that they didn't look good at all down the stretch. And I know Trevor, you know, he had some of those injuries. He was battling his shoulder the last couple of weeks. So, you know, that probably impacted him a little bit. But, um, yeah, they took a big step back. So that was that was one of those more eye-opening ones um, to me. And, you know, it, it was building up for that collapse this, this week. And, they, you know, if they would have just been able to take care of business this week, they wouldn't have to worry about it. But. They did not. The Jaguars lost five of six, and that one that they won, <clears throat> excuse me, was against the Panthers. So a uh, complete <laughs> dismal end of the season for the Jaguars. This is a team that you thought for maybe a second would be a perennial playoff team with that division being kind of weak. Trevor Lawrence being who he is and really kind of stepping into the role and injuries kind of bugged him down this season. But defensively, they have a pretty solid roster on paper. Definitely a letdown from the Jacksonville Jaguars, especially in the division that they play in. Not to take anything away from the other teams, but when you put the when you put those four teams up on paper, the Jacksonville Jaguars should be the team to come out on top. And and realistically, this season, they should have been the team to come out on top. So just an awful, awful way to end the season. And then to lose to the Tennessee Titans, who are in an even worse place, uh, lose by eight points at, uh, on the road, I know. Then the Tennessee Titans go two days later and fire their coach, Mike Vrabel. So you put all that together, and Jacksonville really has some things to look at. And, and I, I agree with you, Brandon. There's an opportunity here for a lot of overreaction. You could look at a lot of different positions. You could even throw out if you want to really overreact. I mean, do we do we look at start? You know, I don't know if Trevor Lawrence is the problem, but I mentioned it with Joe Burrow. Why not throw it around there with Trevor Lawrence with a team like that? Who knows? Maybe you're looking at moving on from Trevor. I don't. I think that's probably the last option on the list. Coaching staff, general manager, player personnel guys. Who knows what it is that they gotta gotta make a change? But Jacksonville is definitely in a, in a in a rough place, and what a, what an awful way to end that season. So, and, and you know, to throw, to piggyback off what you said about the Broncos, it's very interesting of what's what's going to happen in Denver. Today comes out that the Broncos. Had a meeting with Russell Wilson. It looked like a good meeting. Russell might be still open to coming back. Peyton's not necessarily over wanting to move on from Russell Wilson. This is coming from the general manager more so. I'm, 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 where, where do we go with Russell Wilson? And we were going to get into this later, but since you mentioned it, I mean, this is an important topic and, and this can really set ripple effects in, in, in some directions. And it almost sounds like the Broncos' decision to bench him was strictly a financial decision. And also, it sounds like the locker room is a little upset with Sean Payton as a report came out that players voiced their opinion about benching Russ and that they didn't like it and they didn't think that was the right move. But, you know, I think the Broncos are, are pretty, you know, as, as a 
the front office is looking bad because they're the ones that signed the deal with Russell Wilson, and now they're trying to piggyback away from it and be like, ah, no, 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 you know, let's let's change things up. And now it's everyone's rights to say yes, no, and to work things out. So you know, I get all that, but I, the perception of it doesn't look too good. What happens with Russell? A couple episodes, I was saying that I'd be one completely shocked if Russell Wilson ended up at Denver Bronco next season. But now it's looking that maybe it's not that sure of a thing is that because of the draft class and they're not looking at moving up or or that a quarterback that they want is going to drop to them I feel like one of those four that we've mentioned before Caleb Williams Drake May JJ McCarthy Michael Penix I don't think all four of those guys are going to go top 12 in the draft I'd be pretty shocked about that but maybe their guy isn't there, but then are they are they a team to move up? And is Russell Wilson a piece of that trade if you're moving up in the draft? So many questions here. I mean, we could speculate crazy about what could happen here, but it certainly after today does not seem like Russell Wilson is 100% on his way out of Denver. Yeah, and it's frustrating as a fan, um, which is the different inconsistencies of, you know, their messages and then, you know, what they do with personnel decisions. And, you know, it's tough because, yeah, are they somehow, you know, trying to make it seem a little bit better than maybe this situation is to, you know, make Russ's trade value a little bit enhanced? I don't know. I mean, I think, again, he can probably still be somewhat of value to some teams out there. I think it's clearly not going to work anymore with Sean and Russ, and that's why I think it's, you know, it's more likely than not that he's leaving town. But, I agree. Um, with these front offices and, man, how they how they try to manipulate trade value and different things, it, it's tough to try to read between the lines. Um, but, yeah, I, I, you know, I think I don't know if it's unfair for the Broncos to approach Russ because it's, you know, I don't think there's any harm in asking. It maybe feels a little bit disrespectful or a little bit backhanded, you know, this quickly kind of saying, hey, we made this big of a mistake signing you. You mind taking a look at it? And obviously no no bad doing of Russ by saying, like, no, man, like we both signed it. This is what we agreed to. Um, so I don't really fault either side for that. It's just more so, like I said, this inconsistency, and it just makes it, you know, really foggy on – the Broncos offseason, whether that's draft or free agency, whatever it might be. But that that's kind of where I'm I'm more speculating and maybe have that little bit of a theory of maybe they're just kind of doing this to keep that value high and kind of say, you know, hey, we benched him because financial reasons. We like him. We still think he can produce and this and that. You know, we're still thinking about maybe keeping him around. I don't know. But um, like I said, I think it's more likely than not, obviously, that he, he won't be a Bronco next year. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely one of those frustrating things as a fan, man. It's like I just want to know what the plan is and with how bad we've looked on and off the field in regards to front office decisions ever since the Super Bowl. Like they've kind of and you know, we've gone through multiple GMs too, so it's not just, you know, one set of a front office staff. It's just like I think the Broncos organization as a whole has kind of lost that little benefit of a doubt that they've always had forever it's like you know we'll figure it out it's like no all this little secrecy and and you know changing up your mind and this and that it's like i don't really trust that you're going to do anything so you might as well just tell me what you're going to do but i don't know you know it was almost going to feel like maybe this there's a some positives to take out of this season with a winning record with an opportunity to go nine and eight that could have helped 
the perception of how the season ended, and it's like, all right, well, we ended nine and eight. We ended a game out of the out of a playoff spot, and losing to the Raiders, I think that solidifies that Jared Stidham is not the guy. So I think we can all kind of move on from that idea. And uh, I, I don't see, I don't see, uh, you know, if we're picking between the two, I think Russell's still the guy in terms of uh, that quarterback room. But if you were to predict one team that Russell goes to next year, what what what's what's the, what's the prediction? Now, this is not knowing anything about cap space, obviously. Sure. Um, but just kind of watching the game, uh, I was kind of thinking maybe the Colts. Like, I don't know if Gardner Minshew, you know, is someone that they're super excited about. In my opinion, he's a little bit limited. I think he has kind of a ceiling. And what about um, the Rook? What's that? What about the Rook? That's true. But you think, well, they were within the division race kind of all year. That's true. Yeah, I guess that kind of depends on how they feel about him. But, you know, if you need a bridge guy, or if, I guess you can't get Russell for cheap. Yeah, so maybe they wouldn't. But that's something that I thought. I was like, man, the Colts, like if Gardner Minshew, maybe, you know, if they weren't convinced about him. Uh, maybe the, let's see, what's another team? What about the Falcons? That's kind of what I was thinking about. I don't think Desmond Ritter's the guy, and I don't think they're sold about the guy. You have an opportunity no. uh, to kind of maybe do a little better of a match, pick them sort of thing with the new coach because Arthur Smith, another coach that got fired, you know, on uh, after week eighteen. So, you know, maybe maybe you do sort of a package deal and you hire you hire a coach to maybe assume you're going to get Russell Wilson. Now we saw how that worked out with Nathaniel Hackett and the Denver Broncos because that was the expectation that Aaron Rodgers was going to show up. So that doesn't always work. But I was thinking the Falcons as well. I think it'll be a very interesting thing to see where Russell Wilson ends up, a guy that I think most of us thought was going to be a career guy, franchise guy, retire in Seattle, and now it looks like he's going to end up being a journeyman for the rest of his career. And what an interesting, interesting way for that all to kind of pan out. But... You know, that's where we are, and that's where we stand, and that's uh, almost what Russell Wilson wanted, but at the same time, it's what Seattle wanted as well. So I think it was a, it might have been a little bit ugly, but it was a mutual parting, and I think Seattle has a bunch of questions themselves that they need to answer. Yes, they went 9-8, and eight and they had a winning season, and I don't think, the, you know, as a, as, a, as a fan, I don't think I thought that you, you would see two back-to-back winning seasons after Russell Wilson left, but there's not many seasons in the last 10, 12 years that the Seahawks haven't made the playoffs, and this year was one of them. So that should raise some eyebrows. The defense has been very questionable over the past handful of years. The offense have kind of gone by. I'm a huge fan of the the pieces they have on the offensive side. Huge fan. Charles Cross, love what's going on in the offensive line compared to what it was with Russell. Geno Smith is doing what he has to do. Kenneth Walker, Zach Charbonnet having a really solid running back DK. Although all those pieces on the offensive side I love. And and defensively, I feel like they're really young. I don't know where that goes, but Seattle has a bunch of questions to answer themselves. The two th- the two teams I want to shout out from week 18. One are the New York Giants. What what a way to end their season 27 27 to 10 at home dominating the Philadelphia Eagles from the get-go who we're going to get into here in a minute as we get into our 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 uh, standout games for wild card weekend coming up this weekend a couple games that stand out to us but the other team I want to shout out the LA Rams I mean an incredible end of their season an incredible season as a whole where 
after they won the Super Bowl, I don't think anyone really expected much out of him. You had Aaron Donald retirement talks. You had Sean McVay retirement talks. You had how long is Matt Stafford going to play? And then here we go. All three are still there. They have Puka Nakua having one of the most great greatest rookie wide receiver seasons of all time, breaking records as a rookie, which again, I you know, breaking records, I say it loosely with the whole week eighteen edition in the NFL. We can talk breaking records in twenty five years when they're when we got a little more stats behind them. But Puka Nakua, an incredible season. He was a Washington Husky for a quick minute. He was a dog for a minute. But an incredible season by the by the LA Rams defensively still holding true. And then they go to San Francisco, which, again, didn't mean much to the San Francisco 49ers, but you go into the Niners' house, you win 21-20, to and then now you get an opportunity for Matt Stafford to go back to Detroit. And, you know, I might be I might be saying this a little too early, but I think the Rams can win this game in Detroit pretty, and not easily, but I think they have a pretty good chance. But those are my two shout-outs for Week 18, New York Giants, L.A. Rams. Book it. Yeah, the Giants-Eagles games, man, the Eagles are in trouble. You know, I was going to say, though, I don't think – I think they, I think they run past the Bucks though. I might be, I might be saying it a lot, and people seeing Baker Mayfield with the Zins in his pocket during practice today. People are saying Buccaneers by fifty, but I think the Eagles will be okay against the Buccaneers. But I mean, yes, Brandon. For the last handful of weeks, the Eagles have looked awful. Yeah, and that that's been, I think, one of the larger surprises of the season is. Didn't they start like ten and one or something? They I mean, started was, hot, but they snuck by fight. a bunch of those games. We've right. talked about that before. They they snuck by, but yes, they started off maybe nine and one, ten and one, something like that, hundred percent. And yeah, just to kind of just fall flat on your face to end the season, um, you know, we're both really high on Jalen Hurts, and so uh, it'll be interesting. Yeah, if they can put one together. Yeah, I, I agree. If they find a way to kind of rally by the Bucks, I, I don't see them going too much farther after that. I think that's about their ceiling at this point. NFL wildcard weekend, probably the most exciting playoff weekend since they added the extra team in the, the playoff. Boy, is this a jam-packed weekend. I mean, we get – I don't know how many times this has happened, B. Maybe you can tell me if you knew or if you remember, but I don't know how many times we get a Monday night football playoff playoff game, which happens to be the Eagles versus Bucks. but super exciting weekend coming up. Uh, the, give me one or two games that stand out to you for any sort of reason. Don't have to give a pick. But we can give picks later this week as the lines kind of move a little bit and injury reports start coming out. But a game or two from this weekend. Let me actually let me go through the rundown real quick of 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 the games this weekend. Uh, Saturday we have two playoff games. We have the Browns going to Houston. Joe Flacco going to the land of C.J. Stroud. Boy, do we love C.J. Stroud, and boy, did he have a great game against the Indianapolis Colts. So that should be an exciting game to kick off the the playoff uh, season. Next up, we have Dolphins Chiefs, a fun matchup, matchup you don't see very often. Interesting it's matchup. Gonna be cold. It's going to be very cold, and I don't know Miami Dolphins in the cold just doesn't fit. Uh, we'll see how that turns out. So that's the second game on Saturday. Dolphins at the Chiefs on Sunday. We have three games: Steelers at the Bills, another interesting one to talk about. I just love the matchups in the first round this this year, Brandon. I just I just love them. 
Packers versus Cowboys is the second game on Sunday. I mean, you talk about big names, history, a lot riding on both sides, in my opinion. Jordan Love with a lot he could prove in this game, and, and Dak Prescott with a lot of pressure, in my opinion, this whole this whole playoff season. Round up Sunday night with the Rams and the Lions. Can't wait for that game. Gonna Might be the most fun game of the weekend, in my opinion. Just I, I see a lot happening there, especially with the Matt Stafford return, and then we round it up. As we said before, Monday night football on MLK Day, Eagles at the Buccaneers to round it out. So, a game that stands out or games that stand out to you in this upcoming wild card weekend. I think the Browns and Texans, you know, stands out quite a bit just because who would have thought that had been a matchup? You got a rookie <laughs> quarterback, first time head coach against Joe Flacco. Um, <laughs> you know, if. If that was something that, you know, someone came to you at the beginning of the season and said, you know, Joe Flacco is going to take the Browns to the playoffs and they're going to play a rookie quarterback and a rookie head coach, you know, I think it'd be pretty hard to convince you that that was actually going to happen. So that one stands out to me. Um, the other one is the Cowboys and Packers, more so with just the matchup because it always seems that, the, you know, the Packers have the Cowboys number in the postseason, you know, all the way back to obviously that famous Des Bryant game. Um, but not even with Jordan Love, you think that 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 history that though though that's that's still going to stand even with having Jordan Love at the helm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they'll win, right? Because I sure. think they're over a touchdown favorite. But I just can see that just seems like one of those things that just always kind of sits in the back of teams' head for whatever reason. Even though the roster is completely turned over, coaches are completely turned over. Um, it just always kind of you know seems to. You know, you got to get that monkey off to your back by beating this team that you haven't been able to beat. Um, so, yeah, kind of intrigued to see if the Packers can keep it tight. Obviously, it being in Dallas, I think, is going to be a huge advantage for Dallas because they've been so good at home throughout the season. So, uh, but, yeah, those are, the, those are the two games that kind of, you know, get my eyebrows raised a little bit. Lions-Rams, man, I don't know what it is about that, but the two defenses being pretty similar in terms of kind of you know mid to subpar defenses, and I'm going to go with the experience here. I really am going to go with the experience here, and I'm going to go with, I know the, everyone's high on the Lions, and I know I'm high on, on Dan Campbell and that team and that culture and what he's building there, but this matchup, I feel, just goes in favor of the Rams. You're talking about a Rams team that dominated the Browns 36-19 to at home earlier this season. You're talking about a Rams team that lost on a punt return touchdown in overtime at the Ravens. So they had an opportunity to win that game. You're talking about a Rams team that beat the Seahawks twice this season. You're talking about a Rams team that beat the 49ers at home to end the season and only lost by a touchdown in week two, probably one of the highest the the, the 49ers were this season. I mean, I, this is a team that competed with the Eagles you know, the only blowout game was against the Packers, and, you know, I don't remember watching that game, but I think the Rams matchup-wise, the experience, the fact that they've won a Super Bowl, the same guys are there. Matt Stafford's return, I think he's really going to be hungry there and, and, and want to make something happen. I like I like the Rams. I think they're a big a team to look out for in this game. That game really stands out. Sunday night football game uh, in Detroit. I know Detroit's going to be rocking. I think the Rams are going to shock some people. I really do. I think the Texans are extremely interesting to watch after seeing how well C.J. Stroud played in that in that big game that meant something. And first play of the game goes deep to Nico Collins. And, and shout out Nico Collins. How about him? I mean, not only just balling out, but putting up n ridiculous numbers 
and really just being the guy every play. And it's like, is anyone going to stop him? And and no one has. D'Amico Ryan's what he's done with the defense with guys like Christian Harris and and Will Anderson Jr. I mean, they they they're they're trouble. And I know the Browns' defense is very strong. C.J. Stroud, man, he's he's proven himself. Houston's going to be rocking. I think he's I mean, the way he releases the football. It, it comes off so effortless and so smooth, and even off his back foot for being seem for seemingly being a an undersized quarterback. You know, he he's really able to put it on guys, and and I'm impressed with C.J. Stroud. I think that's another fun game to to luck out for. So those are the two standout ones for me. I think the Steelers are going to compete, and I think they're going to make it interesting. But I think Josh Allen's going to clutch it up, and and you know they'll win by a touchdown, maybe ten points late, like on a late touchdown or a late field goal to kind of ice it. But um, you know, and then you mentioned the Packers game. Yeah, I would love to see Jordan Love go in there and and win that game, man. That I would love to see that. So as a as a touchdown underdog. With the name behind you, Green Bay Packers, you know, you making the playoffs last week. You Jordan Love has shown not only just signs of being special, but he's 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 shown signs of like elite at at times. And you bring that into the playoffs, gonna be really interesting. Now, the numbers don't go well against guys starting in their first playoff game. It just it doesn't go well for guys like that. So guys like Tua Tago Viola, guys like CJ Stroud, uh, guys like Mason Rudolph, guys like Jordan Love. It doesn't go well for them uh, historically, uh, you know, in terms of these games for when they're when they're starting in a first time playoff game, especially when they're going up against a, an experienced guy on the other side. So interested to see how that goes on that. End. And I didn't mention about the Rams versus Lions. Jared Goff played for the Rams. Uh, and so, you know, Jared Goff was drafted by the Rams. And Jared Goff was supposedly to be the guy to win them a Super Bowl. And he took them to a Super Bowl, lost to Tom Brady. So, interesting on both sides. A lot of storylines there. Uh, but, yeah, super excited for this weekend. Well, yeah, it's almost, you know, it's more of a homecoming um, for Stafford and then, you know, kind of more of a, reg- a revenge game feel for Goff. I don't think, you know, Stafford's going in there with any hard feelings against the Lions to where, yeah, Goff's, you know, obviously in a little bit different of a situation. So, yeah, that'll be, you know, it's one of those things where if, you know, if you're the Lions fans, I don't think there's any reason to necessarily boo Matt Stafford, but you can't show him this, like, crazy amount of love, no tribute video, anything like that. It's it's the playoffs. You know, if it was week three, it's a different story. But, you know, this is is for all the marbles. So, uh, yeah, the dynamic there is definitely going to be, you know, entertaining and fun to watch. Exciting stuff. We'll have our picks later on this week of uh, uh, going against the lines and whatnot. We'll see what we'll see what Vegas does over the next few days. So looking forward to that. We mentioned it earlier in the show. The national championship college football is over until further notice. And uh, what a game it was. What a matchup it was. Number one versus number two. Two 14 and 0 teams. Two very strong, powerful stories on both sides. Uh, and you know the game was. The game started out close. The game, I'm sorry, the game started out pretty, pretty heavy with Michigan scoring two 40-plus yard rushing touchdowns with Donovan Edwards and and Washington just not able to to to, to finish. And early, it's 14 to three, ends up being 17 to three. Washington gets a touchdown late in the second quarter to kind of make it a, a a touchdown game on fourth and goal. But Washington had many opportunities missed. 
I know people are going to be like, well, what about the officials? I mean, you look outside of the officials, I don't think Washington wins that game regardless. So we're not even going to get into that aspect. So Michael Penix, you know, he was getting rushed all day. He didn't have any time. That's credit to the Michigan defense. Absolutely wreaking havoc. I mean, they made Washington's offensive line look like they didn't know what they were doing. And and Penix had opportunities to hit hit players uh, in their in their stride, he was a li- he was a hair off, and I mentioned this on the last show, Brandon. He, if he if he was going to win the game, he had to play pretty similar to how he played against Texas. Wasn't able to do that. Much better defense. The plays that Michigan was making. Uh, shout out to the cornerbacks. The cornerbacks making plays, making tackles, uh, staying on those receivers. I mean, it was very impressive to watch. You know, JJ McCarthy had a pretty decent game. He made plays when he had to make it, but those you know, Col- Colston Loveland. Blake Corm, I'm sorry, Donovan Edwards. Blake Corm didn't even have that great of a ball game. He had a pretty decent ball game, but you know, Donovan Edwards kind of took the show in terms of running the ball. But final score, 34-13. Michigan covered the four, but the under hit, uh, which you know we keeps the streak running of uh, game seven winner die all unders. But yeah, I mean, it was a fun game. It was really the hot, the lead up was exciting. I think the game was a good game, except for you know the last. Six minutes in terms of the competitive side of things. I mean, Michigan scoring two touchdowns late, it makes Michigan fans elated. But, you know, it, it was a good game. It was one to remember. And, you know, uh, shout out Washington for a good season. And congrats to the Wolverines winning winning the first time, for doing a championship for the first time in 27 years. Now a lot of questions to be had with where's Jim Harbaugh going? Is he staying? Is he leaving? And and what about J.J. McCarthy? Is is he going to put his name into the draft? We haven't heard that officially yet. And, uh, you know, what happens in Washington? I know they have a commit coming next year, but what does the season look like for Washington? Now going to the Big Ten, no longer in the Pac-12. So many things up in the air, but regardless, the game was great. Uh, fun to watch from the get-go. Exciting stuff. I'm just glad it was at least good for three and a half quarters. Yeah, and like I said, it really did feel like Michigan was kind of letting Washington hang around, and you know, you were nervous that that was going to come back to bite Michigan in the butt. And you know, the the couple turnovers that Penix had, um, one great play by Will Johnson, and then really that that second interception that Penix threw it was a fourth down. You kind of have to throw it up at that point you know it was fourth and long kind of just got to make a play um and so yeah then you know michigan's able to get that that last touchdown at the end of the game to really you know make it look like it was a blowout but should have been a pick six should have been a pick six should have been a pick six i was yelling for it and uh he ended up getting tracked down so i think it was number 37 in in white so shout out to him (laughs) he had that hustle uh but yeah it, it was one of those things where um you know, I think if you look at the stat sheet, you would have said, okay, the game would have been a blowout. If you watch the game, it feels closer than the score actually said. So it was a lot of different trends going on just within the game itself. And, you know, I think, again, that the just domination of Michigan in the trenches, both on the offense and defense side of the ball, um, was a real difference. I mean, it was Michigan did similar things in the Rose Bowl to where they had a clear advantage running the ball and then some series they'd get away from it. And, you know, kind of felt like just some, you know, I don't know if they were trying to get too cute or at least keep the defense honest enough. Um, But, yeah, I think, you know, J.J. made the couple of throws that he needed to make. And really that's how that team's built. That team's built around run the rock and, you know, if J.J. needs to make a play. And he's a winner, man. That dude's a gamer. Obviously had that huge play 
down on their own end to the field. Third down, took off for, I think, like a 30, 40-yard scramble, completely flipped the field. I think Michigan ended up going for it on fourth down anyway. That drive didn't get it. But, um, again, one of those things where if you don't get that third down scramble, you're up seven, you're punting your own side of the – you know, deep in your own side of the field. Who knows, you know, what turns out to be. But, uh, but yeah, no, it was an exciting game. Like I said, I think we were both really excited going into the fourth quarter thinking we might have an all-time classic finish. And, you know, it was going that, about that way till yeah, like you said, about that six-minute mark. Um, and Michigan was able to, to bring home the natty. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, props to Michigan. I mean, they 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 lived up to their hype. You said it, the trenches. They won the trenches. They won. They won the inside battle on the offensive side, defensive side. Those guys are big, mean, aggressive, physical. They fought. They battled. They ended up dominating on that side of the ball. And that's different. I mean, that's the, that's the big difference between Pac-12 football and Big Ten football. Pac-12 football is finesse and throw the ball around, and that's why they have dope receivers on the Washington side of the ball. Roma Dunze. Uh, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, you know, they have they have guys, they have athletes. Now Big Ten football has athletes, but they they start they start and end in the trenches in the in the big in the Big Ten. And a lot of unders are hitting it hitting in the Big Ten. So uh that's because of what's happening in the trenches. So props, props to Michigan. Shout out Michigan. Brandon, we had we had a wager. Talk about the wager. We sure did. So Praveen as a Washington fan, myself as a Michigan fan, came up with a little bit of a wager. Um Loser had to write a haiku about the other team. We did put in the caveat that doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, super complimentary. You don't have to sit here and and praise the other team too much. Um, and for those of you for those of you who don't remember, probably sixth grade English. I don't know. It might even be before that. Um, a haiku is a poem made up of three lines. The first line is five syllables long. Second line is seven syllables long, and the third line is another five-syllable line. So, Praveen, what you got for us, buddy? You know, it it didn't take me too long, surprisingly. It was uh, Brandon, Brandon came over to the place uh, for, the, for the second half of the ball game and stayed a little bit afterwards. After he left, I, you know, started starting uh, – I hit the notebook and uh, started uh, – brainstorming and, and and vibing a little bit with my poetry uh with my poetry days i will say this caveat and i will preface this with something i wrote a poem back in the day i have two poem stories one i've told before on a separate podcast uh this one i haven't told before this one's the good one the one i've told before is a bad one I have two, and it's funny, that has to do with poetry. So the good poetry story is when I was younger, I wrote a poem, and it was published in a elementary school book of poems. Like, a bunch of kids would submit their poems, and it would, it would the book, the whole 150-page book, and it was kind of the size of a, of a yearbook, almost, like, in terms of the book, and you'd flip through it, and it would just have poems of kids, and it'd have the name and grade and, and what school they went to, and so I wrote a poem back in the day. It was a, it was a rhyming poem poem i'll say that much so it was a rhyming poem that i wrote and uh it was published in a book so we'll see what people think about my haiku writing skills here i'm very curious to see what people are gonna think i hope you like it for number one but all right <clears throat> here we go michigan is back they sure must love the feeling blue versus the world love it Round of applause. Publish it in a book. Thank you. Give it there for all to read, all to hear. Oh, you want an encore? Okay, I'll say it again. Michigan is back. 
They sure must love the feeling. Blue versus the world. I, decided, I, went, I went more positive. I went more positive. No, and I was thinking about that too. I was like, I, you know, I don't really... like The one bad memory I have of Washington is them beating CU in the Pac-12 sure. championship. And CU really didn't necessarily, I don't think, belong in that championship. <laughs> I mean, that was one of those weird years where CU just got like wicked hot and the rest of CU's division wasn't, you know, generally what it is. Um but yeah, no, I'm a Penix fan, so I was I was kind of thinking that same thing. It's like, man, if Washington wins here, like I don't know if I'll be able to stew up enough enough hate for this. It's but, tough uh, when you only got uh, you know 19 syllables to work with, or I'm sorry, 17 syllables to work with. That's true. That's very true. I, you know, no, there was I so many times. It turned you. out good. Thank you. I was so many times I was like, that's too much. It's too much. So it, it worked out. So you know, I will be uh, submitting it to the uh you know to the poetry gods of america and uh we'll see we'll see what happens also known as the pga <laughs> you know it's the, that's the lesser known pga of of the world everyone's familiar with the golf but yeah yeah you poetry have, gods of america poetry gods of america so we'll be we'll be submitting it and yeah be sure to look out you know i might might make it a make, make it a thing but we're going to be posting on social media so you know you guys can see it and, and double check my work you know 575 you know, I had to I had to look up if world was a one syllable or two syllable. I had to double check, you know, and that you know, the Google machine told me it was a one syllable. So, you know, if you want to go world, you know, then that's maybe two, but I don't we don't say it like that. We say world. It's one syllable. So, you know, I kind of know English. Even though my even though my dad can speak better English than me and English is his second language, I know a little bit of English. You were always good in school. You were a good speller, and now we're learning that you were a good poet too. Yeah, you know, I had some some things I'm good at in school. School wasn't good to me, but I, I that was that was okay. someday I'll tell the bad poetry story. That one's that one's that one's not a good one. So uh, I'm glad I was able to tell the good the good one. Hopefully, my parents remember. Of course, my parents listen to the podcast. Hopefully, they remember when I got published in that book. They might still have the book. So, That's what I was gonna say. I was hoping they'd still have it. Yeah, we might have to go to through the trenches of my parents' house and and find that. So, all right. Well, college football is done for the year. Uh, next year looks like Georgia is the favorite to win it all. Ohio State was number four, you know, with this with this Kansas State guy coming in. But we will see what happens. I mean, we got twelve teams vying for a championship next year, and and. Will it be a top four team winning it, or will it be the field? I think that's the biggest question going into the year, first year of this. And and to be completely honest, if I'm being real, it's going to be a top four team next year. Yeah, I don't see a lot of upsets happening with the top four seeds. I could see maybe like a, you know, a, what would the ten seed would probably be playing the. Seven seeds, is that right? Twelve will play five, six play eleven. Depends on how many they give, see, how many buys they give. Right, because I think, I think from what I've seen, I think the, I think the top four get a buy. I could be wrong, um, but yeah, I again, I I could see a couple of those, you know, middle seeds, getting quote unquote upset, um, and I think a lot of that stuff just comes down to, you know, different styles of play. You know, you mentioned the Pac-12 versus Big Ten. Obviously, we won't have to worry about that next year with the Pac-12 not really even existing. But, you know, if you get a a, a Big Ten versus an ACC that, you know, is a little bit more run and gun, I think that, you know, can be a, a formula for an upset. But, yeah, I, I agree. I think a lot of these t- 
top four teams are year to year so much just clearly better than the rest of the country. So it'll be tough for someone to knock them off, but um, it'll be fun to watch. And, you know, we mentioned the Washington joining the Big Ten. I think there's some other schools that probably watch that game and maybe a little bit of an eye opener of, man, we're going to have to maybe rethink, you know, how we how we look at our roster, how we look at our schemes, um, if they want to compete in the Big Ten. You know, USC kind of comes to mind. You can't just go out there and hope to put 60 on, on these teams every week. It, it's not going to happen, not only with the teams, but that's a whole other weather climate. And, you know, there's some Pac-12 schools where it can get dicey as far as weather. If you're talking, you know, the Pacific Northwest, gets rainy, gets cold. Obviously, Colorado gets cold, some snow. But, um, yeah, like USC going to a even a Rutgers late in November, I mean, they're going to be – I think they'll be in for a little bit of surprise, but so it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, man, I'm pumped for the 12 teams. Just giving more teams a chance, more conversation, more matchups that maybe we're not used to seeing. Um, should be fun. Sign me up for Rutgers covering the spread when they do big noon kickoff in USC's and Rutgers. I mean, that's a big seven. Time. That's a seven a.m. USC kickoff. Right. I mean, I mean nine a.m. I'm sorry, nine a.m. Uh, USC kickoff. I mean, are you kidding me? Like that's. It's and even Penn State, even if you talk about even a better opponent, Penn State, you know USC going to Penn State. I mean, you, you're gonna think you're gonna think they'll do USC a favor and make it make it a night game, but come on, I mean, the, one of those one of those years they're gonna give them a, ten, a a big noon's kickoff and good luck USC. But I'm also curious at the same time, B. I mean, what I think the Pac-12 is gonna gonna impact the Big Ten a little bit as well. Maybe not as much as the Big Ten will, but I think. Those teams coming in, will will they might add a little finesse to some of these Big Ten teams as well. It, it, it might it might have a a little bit of a of another a different effect, an opposite effect of the Pac-12 uh, affecting the Big Ten. Now, obviously, with the amount of schools joining, I don't see that. But I'm very curious to see this hybrid Big Ten that's going to be next year, and also with the Big 12 and SEC and and all these schools with Texas going to the SEC. I mean, that's going to shake things up for sure. I mean, you talk about some interesting and fun matchups. That's definitely the case there. So. I want to move on here. Uh, we have a big, big professional sports conversation, and then we got a couple games trivia happening. So um, I, I got a game for you. I'm going to put you on the spot, Brandon. But it's not going to be hard. But you're going to do okay. You're going to do okay. Eric Spolstra, is he the best coach in the NBA today? And is he a top five all time? Ooh, top five all time. I don't know if he's broken into that. Um, and I am a little. We haven't really talked much heat. Um, no heat culture. Eight years. I'll say this: eight years, hundred plus million. He's top twenty in all time wins of all time NBA coaches. He's top twenty. Six NBA Finals appearances, which which is equivalent to six Eastern Conference championships. Two rings. Now that was LeBron and D Wade, but two rings. Franchise leader in wins. And he's only had a losing record twice. I would put him maybe top 10 all time. In my opinion, he's the best coach in the NBA right now and the most underrated coach in the NBA. I think Mike Malone, you could argue Mike Malone, but Spolster's been doing it longer uh, and he's been more been as consistent doing it. I think he's the best coach in the NBA right now. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think your top 10 point, um, that's probably where I'd maybe be a little bit more in aligned with that as well. Uh, but yeah, best coach in the NBA. Uh, I think if you just look at his body of work with LeBron, D-Wade, and Bosch, and then without it, 
I mean, the guy doesn't really ever miss a beat. Now, obviously, maybe the amount of wins and the regular season standings and things like that don't necessarily follow, but anytime the postseason rolls around, you can't tell me that the East doesn't want to play the Heat. I mean, even again this year, if you kind of look at it, he's doing the same thing he's done. Tyler Heroes obviously, you know, seems like he's maybe taking the next step. Even Duncan Robinson is um, starting to play a little bit of a more well-rounded game to where, you know, in the past he's just been a sharpshooter. But, um, I mean, that guy gets the most out of his roster year in, year out. Every year. Every year. I mean, and it's, and it's again, these, these teams that aren't going into the postseason with, you know, a high seeding. They're fighting through. They're going through the entire gauntlet of the East, whether it's in the bubble, whether it's, you know, last season making a run through it. The guy doesn't miss. And, you know, it's one of those things, too. I think he provides, you know, you always hear about that heat culture. He provides that culture, and he's been with the organization so long. He started from the bottom, you know, as a video um, a video guy, I think all the way back in 97, I think is when he originally started with the organization. And he just worked his way up the ranks. And, you know, if you, you come up under a guy like Pat Riley, and if you really buy into something like that, that's going to be, you know, instrumental into your career. And I think he's kind of shown that. But, um, yeah, man, I mean, the guy's a stud. Eight years. I You know, if they would have gave him a lifetime contract, I'd have no issue with it. I was going to mention, I think, you know, we haven't talked a lot of Heat yet. Um, I'm also a Heat fan, so I get a lot of crap because I root for 90 million teams when in reality I root for two out-of-state teams, Michigan and the Heat. I'm right there um, with you. <laughs> but, you know, none of my friends are nice people and they don't care. So um, in their mind, I root for anybody and everybody. No one no one cared when I was at the big house when Justin Fields was hanging 56 on Michigan. No one cared that I was rooting for Michigan back then. But all of a sudden now, now it's an issue. And same thing with the Heat. When I was in the dog days of Tyler Johnson and giving him crazy extensions and all that, no one cared. But, um, but yeah, I, it's, it's something where um, – I, I think it's a no-brainer contract. I I don't know what I can't remember what his contract details were before this, but it's like one of those things. It's like why would it take you guys like I'd extend that guy every three years. Like why even let it get to a point where you know you need it? So this eight-year extension, like five years into that eight years, I'm already talking to him and saying, "Hey, you still want to do this?" Yeah, what's crazy to me is is how much we just don't talk about Eric Spolstra. What do you think about this comparison? Eric Spolstra is the Mike Tomlin of the NBA. Well, I was thinking that when you mentioned that he only had two losing seasons, you know, because there's that crazy stat of Mike Tomlin always being above 500. And Mike Tomlin, same thing, gets the most out of his guys, gets everyone to buy in. He has that culture. And, you know, it's something that Spolstra and him, they, I think they have a lot of, com you know, similarities if you try to compare them. And it's, it's one of those things, man. It's like it's a guy you don't want to leave the franchise. You know, you lose – not only the coaching, the X's and O's, but like I said, you lose that mentality in the locker room. He's a guy that, you know, can just get just the 13th, 14th guy off the bench and he can get him to produce. I mean, how many undrafted free agents did the Heat have playing for him in the finals last year? And, you know, it was, it was almost comical for um, people that, you know, maybe don't follow the Heat as closely, but because that's all the, you know, every time someone touched the ball and another undrafted free agent or another, another. But, um, yeah, I think that's a great comparison. I think Tomlin, to what he's done even this year with the whole Kenny Pickett situation and now has seemed like did he kind of like revitalize Mason Rudolph's career 
which is wild to think about because that guy was dead in the water. And, you know, Spolstra just continues to win year in, year out. And, again, it's a team that you never want to play in the postseason, whether they have Jimmy Butler or not. I mean, obviously he helps in a large capacity. Um, playoff Jimmy's all of a sudden just Different. turns into, like, one of the best players of all time. And, uh, yeah, it, it's good. I think it's good for the Heat. Um I think, you know, at that point, the only other guy I was thinking that might get a job if Spo was ever to leave would be Haslam just because he held down the the honorary coach's chair for it felt like the last like ten years of his career. Um U D U D. But it's a good thing. Does do, how different is the series last season if Tyler Hero plays? I think the Nuggets still win. I don't know if it's in as dominating of a fashion. I mean, we've talked about that Nuggets roster, and that thing was a freight train that seemed like it was never going to stop. Um, but, you know, if Hero plays and if he was playing at the level he is this year, I, I could see that series going seven. You know, I think it's a six-game series minimum because he, he adds another level. I mean... He has a different in, level in of the, speed. I feel like right. without the, him, the speed, it slows down so much when he's not on the court. In the games that I watch, and he, he seems to, he's missed a lot of games, unfortunately. But when he's on the court, the team's speed is so much different. And Jimmy Jimmy Butler can only do so much, and Jimmy is him, but Tyler changes that. I'm interested. I think, I think at least six games, it might be pushed to seven. Yeah. And, you know. Tyler's just another guy that can go get his own bucket, too. And in the postseason, how many situations throughout the game, whether you need to stop a run or late in the game situation, you just got to give it to a guy and say, hey, go get go get a bucket for us. And Jimmy's obviously proven he can do that. And I think Tyler, as he continues to progress, I think he'll get to that level, too. So, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, they're, they're right there in the middle of the pack with the East and hopefully kind of continue continue rolling it on. Shout out Spolstra, man. I've always loved him. I love I love a coach that that a franchise just sticks with. Too many times do we see just teams go off of a coach because of two, three seasons or, you know, you know, and and I guess in some cases it's uh it's valid. You know, Ryan Day, get your butt out of Ohio State. Okay, that's that's but again, he's only been there for a handful of seasons. So, you know, I, I, I don't like it. it in a, as a big picture sort of thing, I really do appreciate seeing a guy. That's why I do like Mike Tomlin. I do like Eric Spolstra. I like these guys that have been there. I'm, Mike Malone is getting there. You know, I'm really respecting these guys that are able to stay in franchises, front offices, believing in these guys and be like, no, there's it's 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 them sending a message of something different. And and the Heat have put it in now in the on their jerseys. Heat culture. They've now put it there. That is that is what Spolstra is. That is what he, that is what he's brought to the franchise, and I think that is what Mike Tomlin has brought to Pittsburgh. You, you people don't realize, you know, when you really have a true a true leader that knows what the hell he's doing, how much of an impact it can make. And usually those guys can be players. You know, Peyton. We saw it with Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was that when he left the locker room in Denver. I mean, everything has changed, and it's still not the same. And so, you know, it happens with players on occasion. But when you have a coach like that, people don't realize the impact. And this is why 
he has six Eastern Conference championships and two finals wins. And this is why they have winning records every season. And this is why they made it to the championship in 2020 and in 2023. I mean, it's crazy to me that they even made it that far. And they, there they are. And they deserve to be there. And that's how good the Nuggets team was. That Lakers team was pretty pretty solid that, that year too. I mean, it's crazy how, how it works and, and what they have to put in. I mean, they're not even healthy when they make it to that level. I mean, it's it's impressive what he's been able to do. So have to shout out Spolstra because you talk about guys like Popovich and Steve Kerr ugh, and Tyron Liu and, you know, some of these guys. And I think Eric Spolstra is, is – and Rick Carlisle even. Shout out to him. I, I think too many times we skip over Eric Spolstra. So shout out Spolstra. He, des- he deserves his love. Well, you know, shout out to Pat Riley for mm. also recognizing all that that you just said. Because how many coaches do we see not able to survive a LeBron Finals loss? Uh-huh. Right. I mean, that's one of those things no where kidding. LeBron, after that first loss to the Mavericks, like you know, that definitely could have been a situation in another franchise where LeBron's like, "Nope, I want a different guy." See, ya. and you know, for Pat to kind of recognize that, and obviously, you know, Pat's been around the block. Um, plenty of times and, and reach the mountaintop um, in a whole lot of different situations, you know, different franchises and stuff. And so it, it's one of those things where Pat gets it. And I think that whole franchise as a whole, I mean, they just have it figured out. Pat Riley, man, what a legend, what a goat in all aspects as a, as a player, as a coach, as a front office man. He is, uh, he's different. He's old school. He's different. And I love, yeah, we love Pat Riley. There was one time, remember when we saw him at Ball Arena? He just shows up. We was like a random Miami Heat game. We're just there. And it's like, holy crap, what's Pat doing in Denver? I mean, he's definitely probably getting his CBD medication. But, you know, Pat Riley, shout out to the man. I mean, that was, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, he's a legend, living legend for sure. So, all right, well, we're going to go to uh, next segment, which is America's favorite game. Theme music is on its way. It's on its way. But this is America's favorite game. It's your mom's favorite game. I promise you it is. Uh, it was created, owned, operated by Brandon himself. It is our favorite game. Who was he better with? And we might be digging into some deep trenches here of some players that maybe you've never heard of. So we might do a little history lesson here while we get into these. We, we talked about it. I don't know what Brandon's got for me. This is, this is Brandon giving me a player. And I have to decide which team he played with. This player played for multiple teams. And I have to decide which team they played better with over their career. And so we've had Andre Iguodala. We've had Kevin Love. We've had LeBron James. We've had J.R. Smith. We've had lots of good players out here. So, Brandon, let's get who was he better with going. Who you got for me this week? Let's start with uh, the first player. We're going to go to uh, Tony Gonzalez. Oh, Tony Gonzalez. Arguably one of the greatest tight ends of all time. Could Probably might be the greatest tight end of all time. I'm an Antonio Gates guy myself. Let's see. Shocker. Tony Gonzalez, Kansas City Chiefs, Atlanta Falcons. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. It's more nostalgic for me. It's more what I remember. He seemed like he... Uh, you know, definitely put himself on the map. Definitely was a staple in Kansas City. I think he's better than Travis Kelsey. Sorry, Chiefs fans. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Tony Gonzalez. I think he's definitely better than Travis Kelsey at, at this point in Kelsey's career. Um, next one up, we have a guy who never, you know, he was ne- never necessarily, um, you know, an all-time great or anything in, in that regards. Uh, but Willis McGahee. 
Willis McGee, he played for multiple teams. I mean, he played for the Broncos. He played for the Bills. Uh, didn't he play for the Ravens for a quick minute? Yep, he had a couple different stops. Uh, I'm going to go with Buffalo. That's what I know. That's what I remember him the most as, and uh, that's the first franchise that kind of popped in my head. I know he had a stint here in Denver for a quick minute. Uh, I'm going to go with Buffalo, Willis McGahee, running back. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Um, Let's go to, um, in fashion of Michigan winning the Natty last night, Charles Woodson. Oh, Charles Woodson. Raiders. Tuck rule. Raiders. Man, that's just crazy. That the the amount of players that involved, obviously, you know, amount of the amount of great players that involved in that play, unreal. Charles Woodson, Raiders. That's that's what sticks out to me. What about Manny Machado? He kind of turned into like the most hated player in baseball to like all right, you're you're you've quieted down a little bit. Like people still don't like him, but he's definitely not like hated as much as he was when he was in Baltimore. That's actually a really hard one. That is a tough one for me. I'm gonna go with Baltimore because defensively. I'm gonna go defensively. He was unreal. Uh, the arm he had at the third base spot. He was young. He was hungry. He was a he was a superstar coming up in Baltimore. I think he's leveled out a little bit in San Diego. Still a still a solid player. But Baltimore, Manny Machado. This one special request from my wife, Mason Plumley. We saw him play last night. He was shooting free throws left-handed. I swear that man is not left-handed. He was shooting free throws left-handed. Come on. Can yeah, I get- I can, and I was trying to remember when we were talking about it. When I was driving home, I was trying to remember if I've seen him like do that. Because, yeah, I agree. I don't <laughs> think that's been an entire career thing, obviously. Because he had the hitch. Um, he had a crazy hitch. Yeah, it, it was bad. Um, and a lot of those times, yeah, when players have that kind of form and, and tendencies, for some reason the solution's to switch to the opposite hand. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that that's a guy that – I don't know if he's been good anywhere, but you are well, well, in the position to tell me where no, no, he's no. best at. I got an answer for you. At Duke Blue Devils. <laughs> he was he was the best with the Duke Blue Devils. I think that's that's probably fair. I uh, <laughs> I took it – I think it was Plumlee. Um, it was the Plumlee family. I had an Uber to a, a friend's wedding one time. And the guy was uh, a cousin of Plumley, so he had a couple. Check his ID. Is this real? Yeah, that's what we were kind of. It was one of those things because you know when you're in an Uber and they just kind of start talking. That's what I'm saying. I would say some stuff like that. You know, it's one of those. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like how many people have you talked to today? And I'd probably do the same thing. You know, if I'm having to carry on a conversation with so many just random people, I'll probably just throw in a couple different. Yeah, I'd be like Rodney Stuckey. He's my uncle. (laughs) They believe me. Someone would believe me. I promise you. I mean, yeah. I mean, hey, that's pretty cool, though. I mean, Plumlee family's pretty big time. And if this guy's Uber driving, I mean, maybe he's not too close to the family. Yeah, that that's kind of our thought, too. It's like, yeah, it must be distant cousin at, at best. Yeah, the 23 and me, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. So, okay, what's next? You got another one? Peyton Manning. Ah, oh, man. The sheriff. Omaha Productions. Man, I love his show, by the way, Peyton's Places. Arguably one of the 
I think it's underrated. I don't think people watch it enough. I think people watch the clips and stuff and watch him when he's live. But if you haven't checked out Peyton's, Peyton's Places yet, please do. It's a, it's a great show. Peyton Manning. Indianapolis Colts, Denver Broncos. This is extremely tough. Very tough. I'm just going to respect... I'm going to respect the olden days. I'm going to go with the Colts. Hey, it hurts. I agree, though. I mean, he was doing the same thing in Indy that he was doing in Denver. And he did it a little bit longer. You know, he did win a ring. But he got a ring a little sooner. But was he the reason the ring happened? But we could go back to the culture conversation. So he probably was a big piece of that. So it was Brock Osweiler. Shout out Brock. I saw him on TV the other day doing a bowl game. So shout out Brock. He wasn't wearing the Super Bowl ring. So good, good call, Brock. I'm going to go Colts. He was a big part of that. He, he was. was. Part of he, that, was. You know? he was. He I was. I got to respect it. People forget the big, big Brock Osweiler. Uh, yeah, Indianapolis. I really think he he was he was dominant there, man. And and him coming back from his rookie season every year, year in, year out. I mean, he made his name in Indianapolis. I mean, he with the reason Peyton Manning's Peyton Manning is Indianapolis. Now he. Definitely feels like he's a Bronco. I think he still resides in Colorado. His kids play on the youth football league down there in 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 the uh, Denver Jerry, Cherry Creek area. So you know, I think him he's and Terrell a, Davis. He's a Bronco for life, and I think he's very proud and 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 very respected. Re- really respects what the Broncos did for him uh, in that time of his career. And then he won a Super Bowl and wrote he he rode off in the sunset. Man, he rode off. Shout out Budweiser and Papa John's. You know, he he rode off to the sunset. So, uh, yeah, but Peyton Manning, he, he made his name in Indianapolis. He made his name, and then he, you know, he lost that Super Bowl to the Bears. I'm sorry, to the Saints. Uh, and, you know, and, and that was a heartbreaker. Had a chance to get two Super Bowls. He, he did the well. Pick six, remember? Pick Tracy six, Porter. Tracy Porter. Uh, yeah, I mean, what well, that was. Uh, I remember that. That was in, that was incredible. And then you know what? That was New Orleans time. You know, after that was after Katrina. the hurricane and yep. everything. I mean, that was definitely a a storybook moment. Peyton had to be on the bad end of it. But Indianapolis. That's yeah. I'm gonna go with Indianapolis. Stay All right, we got one one more for you tonight. Okay. Odell Beckham. OBJ, Mister Swag. I'm him. LSU, Tigers. The dude's got hands. Dude's athletic. He can dance to anything. He's like a, you know, he's like the he's like a football version of Drake is what I what, I, what kind of what I see him as. You know, he's kind of a, he can do it all. You know, Drake can sing. Drake can rap. Drake can dance a little bit. You know, OBJ. He can he can play basketball. He can play football. He's got hands. He can jump out of gym. You know, good looking cat, OBJ. What to say about him? He won a Super Bowl in L.A. He made his name in New York. He was almost, He could have been the MVP of that Super Bowl, too, if he didn't blow out his knee. That's the truth. I mean, he, he was... But he came he late in that falling. season, though, right? He didn't, he didn't even play the full season in L.A., right? Right. So right. that's what's crazy about even considering that, but he was such a big piece of them winning. And like you said, blowing out his knee, he might have even won... The MVP, and then currently with Baltimore, I definitely think Baltimore's out the mix. I gotta go with New York. Gotta go with New York. Uh, he that that catch is arguably the catch of a lifetime. I mean, you put you put that up there in any highlight reel for the rest of our lives, 
And we remember where we were. We remember watching that play. We remember, tw- I remember Twitter. That's what I remember the most when that play happened was Twitter. I mean, Twitter almost exploded when that, when that play happened. And Chris Collinsworth oozing all over that play. It was incredible. It, it was, it was, a, it was, it put his name on the map. He was already a great player coming from LSU. I mean, he already had those skills. I think the Giants. Do you do you feel the Rams more so? I almost kind of lean the Rams because just, and I know it was so much shorter of a time, but um, just that the impact that he had. Um, I would almost lean him. I mean, he was like I said, he he was going to be Super Bowl MVP. I really believe that. And but yeah, I mean the catch the catch happening in New York, and not only on Sunday night, but obviously against quote-unquote America's team, whether you agree with that or not, which I do not. But, you know, one of the most talked-about teams day in, day out, the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, that was that that felt like that was on SportsCenter for just two and a half weeks straight. Every time you turn on the TV, replay that catch. That's an all. That's a, f- a top-five all-time catch ever. I mean, easily. Easily. Yeah, I mean, I it, mean, it's one of those ones where, you know, if, if you haven't dabbled in this, I, I highly encourage it. Um, just go onto YouTube and just search greatest sports moments and you can just find these 40 minute long montages of just sports moments, all sports, European soccer, you know, whatever have you. And that one's in every single, every single one. It hits really well at like one thirty-seven in the morning on a Saturday night. It, it, yep. it hits so hard. Those videos are to die for. And even like, and to top that, to add on to that, the videos of, uh, movie hype hype scenes and movies sports movies you know like those speeches and those those highlight reels even in the sports movies that are fictional those still those still hit but yeah you put together a montage of greatest sporting events you talk about you know you want to go deep diving into it you talk about that soccer one that they always talk about uh with with the penalty kick and going back to the side talk about the la kings winning the cup in overtime that's a that's a double overtime i believe it was at home uh, against against uh, King Henry, I believe it was Henrik Lundqvist. So, you know what what a you know, have some of these deep 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 dives in sporting lore. Uh, you know, uh, Matt. Why, why can't I think of his name? Julian Edelman, his catch against the Falcons. Uh, even they'll throw in Julia, Julio uh, Julio Julio Jones's two catches that game that were incredible. Those little toe he tap tried. catches he had. He he tried to he should have. They should have. He should have. He tried. Two of the greatest catches that people don't talk about. Yeah, he, he did everything he could to bail out Kyle Shanahan with that awful play calling. And he still, he still couldn't do it. Kyle found Kyle found a way to best him. Lynn Sanity, uh, yeah. Kobe's eighty one. I mean, just all these greatest in one video it, it, it doesn't miss. So Okay, well, I got a trivia game for you to finish off the day. You get three strikes. Okay, three strikes. It's very simple. You don't have to get any particular order. You just have to hit the spots. The top five NFL leaders this season in passing yards. Top five passing leaders. You just have to say the name. If they're in the top five, you got it right. If they're not in the top five, you got them wrong. You get three strikes. Top five passing leaders. You don't have to get the yardage. I will tell you the yardage. Who you got? Dak Prescott. Correct. He's in the three slot at 4,516. 4,516 yards. Two has got to be in there. 
Tua's number one, 4,624 yards. Josh Allen? Boom. He's on, he's on fire. The number four on the list, 4,306. You need number two and number five. I'm going to take a flyer here since I got a strike to burn. Matt Stafford? No, he is number 11. He didn't crack 4,000. 3,965 yards. You got two strikes. What an awful guess. Uh, okay, so we got, I don't think Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, I'll just say it. Just outside of number six. 4,183. You are down to your last strike here. You need the number two and number five. Passing teams. Heavy passing teams. I'll give you one Jared hint. They Goff. are both in the playoffs. Jared Goff. Boom. Number two. 4,575 yards. Tua Tagovaiola is number one. Jared Goff, number two. Dak Prescott, number three. Josh Allen, number four. One strike remaining. Who's number five? CJ Stroud. Oh, he's number eight on the list. 4,108. Number five is America's favorite quarterback, Brock Purdy. Wow. 4,280 yards. Lamar Jackson is number 15 on this list, right in front of Geno Smith. That's it, huh? Jalen Hurts is number 14. Exactly. Jalen Hurts is number 14 on this list. Now, if we go to rushing, if we go to rushing, Lamar Jackson is number 22 on the list. Of, wow. of all the rushers. Is there any other quarterback that breaks the top 30 on that list? Any other top quarterback that breaks the top 30? Like, are there any other quarterbacks in top 30 of rushing? Top 30 of rushing. I'm sorry. So I went back to passing. Let's see. Uh, in terms of any other quarterbacks in the top 30 of rushing, there are zero. He is ahead of Jerome Ford, Gus Edwards, Josh Jacobs, Dave Devin Achaney, Zach Moss, Jalen Warren, Javante Williams, John Taylor, Jonathan Taylor, Bijan Robinson, Robinson, I can't read. Alex Madison, Alvin Kamara. Those are all the guys that Lamar Jackson is above. The next guy, next quarterback on the list is Justin Fields at 35. Wow. So Jalen Hurts is 42. Josh Allen is 43. That's a lot of high-paid running backs. That he's Josh Dobbs mean- cracking the top 50. What a what a what a moment in the NFL season where Josh Dobbs had a couple <laughs> of weeks stretch there and you know he's in talks as this guy an actual start in the NFL is he going to get extended by the Vikings and next thing you know Nick Mullins is closing out the season for him. We're going to keep this game going and give you another shot, okay? We're going to go through rushing and receiving. Why not? Okay? So top five. Because I did so well for the quarterback. You got four out of the five. You were good. You just missed Brock. That's a tough one. It's a tough one. So we're going to go top three rushers, running backs. All three are running backs. 
Two out of the three are in the playoffs. Top three rush in yardage, rushing yards this season. You get three strikes. Christian McCaffrey's obviously on that list. He crushed it. 1,459 yards. Second place, 1,167. You're talking about almost a 300-yard difference from number one to number two. Christian McCaffrey, yes, in the one. And that's with him missing. No kidding. I mean, he missed week, missed week 18, but wasn't he out for at least a couple weeks for injuries? Too? Yes. Yes, he was. That's, that's crazy. Did Travis Hen or uh yeah, did he? Not um no, no, hold on, hold on. You said two are in the playoffs? Two out of the three, so you got one of them. I'll say Let's this the team that with- did not make the playoffs, the team he plays on, coach got fired. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to guess King Henry. Correct. He's in the two okay. slot with that 1,167. The three is surprising. You wouldn't guess it, but he's on a playoff team. And boy, did he. He was, he was a nice sort of fantasy pickup if you had him on your team. But he's not a big Raheem name. Moster. No, Raheem Mostert, number 10 in rushing yards. That's one strike. He cracked 1,000, Raheem Mostert did. Smaller name than that. Is it, um, why am I spacing his name? The Rams running back. Kyron. You got it. Kyron Williams at 1,144. He averaged five yards a carry and 95 yards a game, leading the NFL in that category. He was second to Christian McCaffrey in yards per carry. So what a season for Kyron Williams. Top three rusher in the NFL. James Cook, number four. DeAndre Swift, number five. James Conner cracking the top ten. So, shout out James Conner. Couple guys out of the top ten. Travis Etienne, Tony Pollard, Brees Hall, Rashad White, and Bijan Robinson. And Jameer Gibbs with 30-something yards less than Bijan Robinson. So, you know, Jameer Gibbs. Love Jameer Gibbs. Love what he's about. Last one's receivers, Brandon. We're going to wrap it up with receivers. All right, we're going to go top five receivers here. Top five receivers in receiving yards. Okay, we're going to go receiving yards. You get three strikes. Tyreek Hill. Number one at 1,800 minus one yards this season. Mike Evans. Ooh, no. Wow, that's surprising to me. So, I'm... Looking here, and I'm trying to make sure Mike Evans is number nine. Mike Evans number nine this season. He's not even close. Twelve hundred, wow. twelve hundred fifty-five yards, number nine. One strike. Justin Jefferson. No, he missed too many games. Oh yeah, that's right. That was an awful guess. What am I doing? I'll give, I'll give you, I'll give you a pass on that one, because I'm nice. Still got Low two. Keys, Chris, is Christian McCaffrey on that list? <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he was. He'd be, he just leads every statistical category. Not top five. Okay, so really I have Tyreek Hill. Okay, so let's go to... You still got two strikes. Uh, 
Let's go to CeeDee Lamb. Number two, 1,749 yards. Great year for Mr. CeeDee. 12 touchdowns. The next, three are all, the next three are all in the playoffs. No, he's number eight. Nico Ooh. Collins is number eight at 1297. Eight touchdowns. You got one strike. All three Man. are in the playoffs. We talked about this guy a little earlier today. So I was gonna I was gonna guess Puka. Puka Nakua in the four slot. Fourteen hundred and eighty six yards. So we got two more. Number three both and number in the five. Playoffs. Yes. Three and five. They're both number one receivers. Well, one you could argue. One is, I believe, for sure number one. The other one, I think you could argue with another guy. Let's go with. We already knocked out the Cowboys. Man, Amari Cooper's not up there, is no, he? No, not Amari. He is number 10, though. He cracked the top Man. 10. Man. All right, who are they? Number three, Amon Ra, St. Brown. He was the clear number one to me. And then number five, A.J. Brown. I think some may maybe think De- De- uh, Devontae Smith could be the number one, but Devontae Smith isn't really – he's number 20 on the list of this. But so, you know, pretty much A.J.'s probably the number one. But A.J. Brown was number five with 1,456. So Tyreek Hill, C.D. Lamb, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Puka Nakua, and A.J. Brown. D.J. Moore in the six. Brandon Ayuk in the seven. See, I was I was thinking about guessing some of the, the Niners guys. Ayuk wouldn't have been a bad guess. The Amon St. Brown, I didn't want to I didn't want to throw his name out because I, I just in my head I was thinking Laporta was getting so many yards too that they were kind of eating each other, you know, their production. Fifteen hundred um, yards and ten touchdowns for Amon Ross St. Brown. What a year. What a year for him. So trivia for the and week. If, you didn't do so bad, I, Brandon, but we gotta we gotta tighten it up. Yeah, I don't say I'm not like thrilled with that performance. And then I do want to say I, I kind of accidentally spoiled one of my one of my people on who's he best with because when I meant to guess Derrick Henry, I said Travis Henry, who was on my on my head because he's a part of my list. So a little bit of a, a spoiler on that. So I'll have to I'll have to find a new guy for that one. I was wondering why you said Travis Henry. I'm like that was that's a that's a throwback. He has not played in 15 years. Yeah, no, so he did not crack that top 10 to the top five list. So, all righty. Well, another good show in the books. We'll have more coming later this week as we get closer to the NFL wild card weekend and uh, lots more to talk about. CSU basketball, you need to figure it out, boys. You need to figure it out real quick. Bad, bad couple road losses. Need to tighten up the screws. You want to be recognized as a legit team. You want to get off the Mountain West Network. You got to win these kinds of games. So, uh, you know, CSU basketball, not not two couple losses. You could say they're road games, which does help. But in my opinion, you want to be taken seriously. Road games are where it matters. And we saw two number one and number two go down today as well on the road, so it shows how important that is. Long conference season to go. CSU basketball need to figure it out, but we'll have lots more to come on the next next episode. Brandon, last words of the night? Hail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see you next time.